Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another interview for Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and this show is brought to you by Sonos. Now, I have to talk about my Sonos setup a little bit because it's kind of far and wide. I have Sonos ones in some of the bedrooms. I have a Sonos move in the kitchen, which I love to take outside for barbecues. But one of the areas where people talk about Sonos is their versatility. And one of the areas that I emphasize here is that I also have a turntable. I have a turntable in my office and I don't want to be connecting that to old traditional style speakers. So I have a Sonos port that allows me to connect that turntable into the Sonos ecosystem. And that means that I could put Frank Sinatra on the turntable, but hear it in any room of the house. And that means that I'm hearing it through all of those amazing Sonos speakers with that incredible sound. And it must also be noted too, that if you did have wired speakers that you absolutely love, and you can invest heavily into some wired speakers, or even you've got ceiling speakers outside and in your alfresco area, you can get the Sonos amp. And the amp allows you to connect traditional speakers into that Sonos ecosystem. So when you think about Sonos, it's not just about buying a speaker from them. You can actually get it to really integrate into existing and future equipment that you do bring into the home, even if it isn't Sonos branded. So one of the things to do, check out there. Now, if you have been to the Sonos website in the last few days, you'll see a little pop-up now. Big news. Something not so big is coming. And ladies and gentlemen, I will give you the full rundown of that in our Thursday episode. Uh, as I unpack the news, obviously, of the week, but we're going to hear a lot about what Sonos has been doing and what their newest product is. And it's very, very exciting. I unfortunately am mere hours away from actually being able to tell you. So you'll just have to pay attention to the news and otherwise Thursday's episode. Now, today on the show, we have a pretty cool interview lined up, ladies and gentlemen. We have Matt Codrington. He is the managing director for Lenovo in Australia and New Zealand. And obviously, Lenovo, they have everything from PCs, laptops, all the way up to light bulbs now. Uh, if you have been paying attention to what Lenovo is doing, their product range has expanded dramatically. And in 2020, we've really relied on our computers, uh, whether that's working from home, having flexible ways of working. If you didn't have a computer before lockdown, you probably bought one during lockdown because you desperately needed one. Now, we talked to Matt about everything around the pandemic, around innovations in laptops. You would have known not so long ago, I was talking about their X1 Fold, which is that foldable laptop an incredible piece of engineering. And we talk about that as well. Plus the future ways of working. I think if you're going to talk to a managing director of such a large corporation, it's good to get their insights into how things are working on their end as well. So we do tap into that. Without further ado, please welcome Matt Codrington, the managing director of Lenovo Australia New Zealand to Technology Uncorked. Now, Matt, uh, first of all, when you do think of the brand Lenovo, um, what do you see as its purpose? How do you see the brand in Australia? Well, Lenovo, I, Lenovo is a large um, technology company, one of the world's largest technology companies. We've got a lot of employees, about 63,000, and we operate around the world. We're sort of split into a couple of different areas. One is um, mo mobility, so the, the Moto handsets, which you may know. Then we've got our um, our IDG, our device group, which is the, the ThinkPad um, laptops and, and notebooks and workstations and all those sorts of things, and then the, the data centre group or infrastructure group. So when I look at the company, I guess we've, we've gone through 
you know, a fairly exciting journey with the largest um, PC company in the world. Um, but it's changed recently, I think, in, in some ways where we're moving beyond just sort of challenging innovation as a, as a technology into more of a user experience, I would say. And, you know, innovation has traditionally been about, you know, the breakthrough in technologies, new form factors, all those sorts of things. But I think we sort of reframed the idea and driven by a couple of factors that occurred in 2020 around how do we how do we use the products, the technologies in the way we, we live and work and study and, and sort of the new um, approach to some of the things or some of the ways we live our life. So with that in mind, I think, you know, the focus now has become really around the user experience rather than a technology. And that shift is going to bring around hopefully more meaningful innovation. We saw some of that, I think, this year at the CES event, the technology event um, that happened. And I do want to touch on that too, but um, so it's good that you mentioned. And I think, look, from a from a laptop perspective, that's where I was definitely introduced to the Lenovo brand. You know, I remember using them in in high school, and literally, yeah. I used to then later on. I left I left high school. I started repairing them as part of my my first job out of school. Wow. I, was, I was you know in in IT support managing Lenovo laptops and things like that, and I continue to use them today. In fact, the machine I'm using right in front of me now is is a Lenovo laptop. How much of the Lenovo business do you see as corporate versus traditional consumer in that way? Uh, it's probably about 50-50, I guess. Um, mm. It depends on the time of the year. At Christmas time, obviously, we, we get more consumer business. But it, it, it's probably about 50-50, at least from, from uh, you know, an Australia and New Zealand point of view. Um, we get our learnings from different parts of the market. I think both are equally important to us. Um, if, if I look at the last year, though, you know, and, and the technologies that have come about in consumer, it's been around entertainment. It's been around everywhere. It's been around gaming and, and immersive gaming. It's been around, you know, pushing those sorts of boundaries. Whereas in the commercial space, we've seen, well, we, we want to be more mobile. We're working from home now. We're doing all sorts of different stuff. So how do I protect, you know, identity? How do we have device security? Look, there's old things that are associated with a commercial view. So we're probably, in, you know, I invest my time equally in, in, in both sectors and they've both got different needs. So probably about a 50-50 split. Okay, interesting. And, and look, from, from a corporate model's point of view, they, they are different to consumer grade in terms of how they look and even how they're constructed. Look, to be honest, when I was, when I was in school, and we had the Lenovo laptops, mate, we were able to use them as cricket bats. They were that strong. Like we could actually hit a <laughs> tennis ball with them before class and then turn them on and continue working. They, they are just rock solid. How, how does Lenovo design, you know, for corporate compared to consumer? There is obviously some difference between, say, the yoga machines to, to the more X-rated series and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I haven't had them called X-rated series, but we've got an X, X series. You're right. Um, so the commercial machines, you're right. They're they're, they're built for well, actually military grade. We we go through, I think it's twelve military grade exercises, which means that you know it's mainly related, I think, to the U.S. Army, but um, you know around vibration and around temperature and around you know, all sorts of um, I guess capabilities that the devices have. So in that sense, I think we do invest a lot more in, in making sure the devices are very robust, you know, that, that you spend eight hours a day with these things. So they have to be able to cater for in and out of bags and moving everywhere and getting in and out of planes probably at some point. Uh, whereas the consumer machines, um, you know, tend to stay at home probably. And, you know, it's more around the, you know, the 8K screen or the 4K screen and the entertainment, those sorts of things. So probably not as much on the move, uh, which is not so they don't, but, you know, the commercial machines are really built to, 
uh, you know, thousands of cycles of hinge testing and or tens of thousands actually. We put them in a machine that um, you go into this room and the door closes and it captures all the sound and it's quite eerie. It actually puts you off balance. And the you know the the, uh, the what's it called like the sound of the fan and it makes sure it was decibel count. We go into we put them in freezers. We put them in ovens. We do all this stuff to them to sort of push them to the limits, I guess, and understand that they can, um, you know, they can take these tests. So very deliberate strategy Interesting. there. Interesting. And I guess, and, and now as, you know, so many of us are working from home, the whole lines between, you know, what we did in the corporate world compared to what we do at home, all those lines are blurring. Does that change the way that Lenovo puts a product strategy in place where you would currently have quite a differentiation between consumer and corporate and now potentially people are using that same laptop for for everything yeah look it was i think if we go back sort of five plus years um the technology was probably being driven out of the commercial space you know a lot of the security technology and that sort of stuff and then it flipped on its head and then we looked at screens as the focus and so the consumer technology was really driving that um and probably both do but I think in the last year we've really seen a lot of the evolution of some of the technology back in the commercial space. And what I mean by that is, you know, as you say, people are working from home now. Um, you know, we're on video conferences a lot, so sound is really important. How do we how do we put the the microphone arrays in that they can pick up either a narrow or a wide band of sound? How do we um, noise cancel the machine so you can tap on the keyboard and it's not going to affect the you know, you're not going to disturb your, your um, colleagues on the on the video conference. How do we take out the blue light in the screen or give you the option to take out the blue light in the screen um, so that it's easier on your eyes? Um, and, and all these sort of, I guess, evolutions of, of technology now but have become much more important, I think, to our users over the past year or two years um, that allows them to hear better, see better, you know, interact better because this this tool was sort of a one-on-one -on -one tool in many ways. You know, you use it to create files and send files and share things and do all those things. But now you're looking at people the whole time at this machine and, and you're True. talking to them. This is your, your interface to the, to the outside world. So we've really focused in on that and, and that, that extends into education. I mean, the learning from home now has gone through a massively rapid rise. You look over in, you know, I think Australia has been ahead of the, the game there for a while now in terms of devices for students, you know, matching one device to one student, you know, and, and we're continuing to build on that. Um, but that wasn't necessarily the way in Japan. And Japan have just gone through a big exercise where they've now, you know, rolled out devices to every single student. So, you know, whether it be a, a Windows environment or a Chrome environment or, or how that all interacts, you know, having to, uh, I think, optimise these machines to deliver that outcome for for those users, especially in this sort of, like, like we're acting now, right, as we're interacting now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And sometimes people would look at a corporate brand, uh, especially if, if people were to see Lenovo as a corporate brand and think that they may be less innovative than a consumer brand. But when you guys bring out the world's first foldable laptop to market, it's making quite a statement, don't you think? Yes, I do. Look, I think, you know, foldable screens, we've been toying with them for a couple of years now, making sure that, you know, the, the technology's right. Um, you've seen them come in a little bit in phones, but in laptops, that's that's a whole new ballgame, right? And I think the X1 Fold, which I think you've seen, is, is you know, it's the world's yeah. first foldable machine. 
and it's really a chameleon in my sense, you know, of, of a device. So it's it has you know the latest Intel processors. It does have the ability to to handle the day to day, but then it folds up to this. It's almost like the size of a book, you know, this novel size platform. Um, and you know, it's it's very easy to carry around. You can put five G in it if you choose to. So it really sort of encompasses most of that. You can put a, a keyboard on it, which attaches and so on. Um, but the secret, actually, for this technology is we've got the screens, but how do we how do we fold the screens? So that you know they can have an extended period in a fold and, and not crease or not bubble or not not be uh, affected by that. And so the secret, I think, in the engineering on this machine is really around the hinge, actually, where the hinge allows the screen to fold in such a way that it doesn't put stress on the screen, and you know therefore you know you can open and fold it hundreds of times, thousands of times, and you're not going to get that impact on the screen. That's I'll been be one of the, the biggest challenges. Yeah, yeah, and I'll be honest. The first time I actually folded it, it's it scares you. It's it's the scariest thing to <laughs> fold in half because, you know, it's a it's a huge screen. It's much bigger than you would find in a, in a tablet. Um, and when you do fold it, you feel like you're about to break it. But it it snaps cl- it snaps closed. It snaps back open again. Um, when I had it on Studio Ten, it was the first thing that people noticed. That while I'm setting up that table with other gadgets, I put that there, and people are walking past as though it's a tablet. But when you fold it in front of them you can just see this this surprise look on everybody's face. It's, it's people marvel at it. It's it's quite amazing. And I mean, for me, it was just awesome to have a look at, awesome to give a bit of a run through. Um, I don't see them being rolled out at my office just yet as much as I would love to see it happen. But, um, you know, it's 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 more of a statement piece in saying this is where we could, could find ourselves in a couple of years as being the new norm. And that's got to be pretty exciting. Look, I think you're right. And, you know, with innovation like this, I, this is – this is part of, I guess, what we want to be able to do. It's it's smarter technology for everyone, smarter technology for. That's kind of a, a line we have internally. But it's it's challenging the boundaries and seeing well, what what delivers that user experience, what delivers, you know, I guess a a, a better environment to work in, what delivers a, um, an easier way to interact with your peers or your business or you know others. Maybe it's grandma and grandpa. It doesn't matter. But you know, what are we how can we go and affect that? And so you've got to push these boundaries. And, you know, you're right, the product we're talking about now uses uses carbon fibre plates and magnesium alloy. Like, it's it's a very robust product. Um, and, you know, with that, obviously, it's, it's probably a little bit more expensive than a traditional laptop, um, but that will continue to change and that will continue to move in price. And that will, you know, as we challenge these, these norms, um, that will continue to deliver better results. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Now, Lenovo sells almost all of the products that you would need for a setup at home, a setup at work. You know, I, I know that f- from my desktop setup, for example, I'm talking about the monitor, the keyboard, the mouse, um, if you need a desktop PC, if you need a laptop, uh, a tablet, and, and so on. There's there's a huge amount of products that Lenovo does make. Where do you see the product area, which is probably advancing faster than others amongst everything that you do have in the portfolio? Ooh, okay. Um, well, Probably mobile computing has exploded. It's not that mobile computing's new laptops have been around, uh, but we've found a lot of a lot of workers have been in an office with a desktop computer under the desk, and that has had to change. So we've seen the computer, like the traditional PC market, grow substantially. So a lot more people are using laptops now and mobile computers, and I guess you know, that's driven, as I mentioned before, uh, a need for making sure we've got the right 
security, we've got the right protections. So, you know, cybersecurity last year was one of the biggest growing industries. Um, and it's not necessarily just around computers, it's around, you know, data and data theft and all those, you know, identity, all that sort of stuff, um, identity theft. So one of the biggest areas we're focused on is, is how do we help our customers with cybersecurity? What do we put in our products that protect their identity, um, protect their device, protect their data, um, protect them when they're online in a cafe? You know, what can we do to, uh, I guess, better enable our users who aren't always aware? I think we've got a bit of noise here. Who aren't always aware of what they should or should be doing, um, um, sort of in the background, making sure that that can kick in. So that, that's been a real focus and growth area, not so much in terms of revenue, but I think in terms of our focus and making sure that the products are are the right products. Um, we've, kicked, we've, we've got a, an IoT practice now in Lenovo, or Internet of Things, um, that we launched that, um, that business, that business unit about two years ago. And, you know, that's about delivering with the Internet of Things, which is which are sensors and you know, data-driven outcomes that you can you can do amazing things with. There's a couple of stories, I guess. We we actually work with a, a pizza manufacturer in Australia, and when the pizza comes out of the oven, or before it goes into the oven, in fact, there's a camera that looks down and, and makes sure is, that it's got the right amount of cheese and pepperoni and you know olives, whatever it is, before it goes. In. So it's just sort of a bit of a quality uh, control tool. We work right. with an insurance company. We have sensors in the cars that can detect, you know, how fast they're going or how slow they're going and what they're doing. And, and people can get discounts on their insurance policies if they're, if they're safe drivers. Um, there's all sorts of different things that we're doing there. But it's, you know, you go into a supermarket now, you can self-scan your, you know, your stuff out of the, the checkout. That's probably another example. Um, so there's this, there's this exploding internet of things that is going to, I think, there's going to be 20 billion connected devices by the end of the year for this. And it's, 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 we're working with companies on how they collect the data, how they manage the data and bring the data in and then get something meaningful out of it. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of data out there. It's how you harness that data to answer questions, questions you may not even be aware of. Like it shows you the answers and you go, wow, I didn't realize that. So this is how I can go and, you know, I guess work with that. That's, that's sort of a commercial view. And then we're in the smart home. So the smart home is going through a huge ramp as well. So that's smart globes, that's smart locks, that's smart, um, you know, a whole lot of smart devices in the home, smart cameras, smart plugs. Um, so we're trying to, I guess, deliver some innovation there where, you know, users can automate things in their home. Um, they can have, um, you know, even, even non-automated devices. So you can turn on your kettle in the morning and, you know, set, your, set, set up how you do that. You've got... Um, we've got smart displays now, which which use you know in partnership with Google, Google technology, where you can um, have devices in different rooms and talk to each other, control automation around your house, the speakers, the TV, whatever. You can sit in the lounge room in the kitchen, and you can talk to this device that's got a screen on it and ask it about a a, a recipe for spaghetti, and it'll bring up the recipe and play your video, and you can you know you can use it. So it's it, you know, in some, in some ways it's about simplifying things and, and giving access to, I guess, other easier ways of doing things in the smart home. 
And, and look, you mentioned an interesting point too around the Internet of Things and having 20 billion devices connected to the Internet, which is a scary figure. And you also mentioned that, you know, Lenovo is playing a pretty heavy part in that. You're now doing you're now doing the smart lighting. You now have your own smart speakers and things like that. That's the smart mm. home explosion for Lenovo has been quite substantial. And I think from a consumer point of view or for someone from the outside, one of the biggest surprises for me when I saw those products come to market was the price that you guys are undercutting a lot of the existing brands that were out there doing smart lights or, or smart speakers already. Um, how did you manage to, to have such a play where you're bringing a really good brand with solid products, but the price just doesn't seem to, uh, to, to match in that way? There isn't a premium price attached to those products. Well, look, I think, you know, with any new technology, you do see a premium at the start of the technology probably. Um, and, mm. and smart homes are maturing. So, what we bring to the table is scale. You know, we can we can produce and we do produce, you know, millions of these products. Um, we have a large share in the market, and you know, once you have scale, you can you can drive costs down, and therefore you can sort of you can bring the price down a little bit to the consumer. So it's really a function of of having that scale, um, and then it's the breadth of the offering as well. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges actually in the smart home is that. Not all brands have reached this equilibrium where they all talk to each other. There are different, some different standards still. And I think what we've also done is we've sort of gone for the open standard so that we are going to talk to everything all the time. We're not, we don't have our own systems or our own, we don't lock people into our own um, you know, ecosystem. Um, it'll talk with Alexa, it'll talk with Siri, it'll talk with um, Google Assistant, so, and also talk with other products. So that also, I think, reduces the overall cost because you can, you can go and match anything in with that if you if you see something else that you like so it's it's not locking people into things it's, it's opening up i guess the opportunity to choose whatever they like that meets those standards i think it's an important consideration when people are really looking at a smart home that they you know they, they look at do, does it talk with other things yeah i agree because i think i think a lot of people have these misconceptions sometimes that well, hang on, I've got an iPhone. That doesn't mean I can go and get this kind of brand product because it won't actually talk to one another. I, I do have a lot of people who ask me saying, will, will it still work with, with a Samsung phone if I've, if I've got um, you know, a HomePod or something like that? Or can I still use these products? And that has to be one of the biggest concerns people have is, is just gadgets working with other gadgets, especially when they bring it into the home. If your lampshade by the bedside table can't be controlled by a particular brand of phone or by a particular smart speaker, it becomes a barrier and it just it scares people away from from really moving forward with it further. Mm. And that's why it's, it's really important. Again, because of our scale, we, we, we're the biggest partner with a lot of companies, you know, whether it be Intel or Microsoft or, or Google or, or whomever, Amazon. So I think it's it's in our interest to make sure that we we leverage those partnerships and deliver a, a holistic solution. And then you can, as you say, you can have the confidence in the product and say, well, I know it's going to work. Yeah, agreed. And I want to talk a little bit about remote working because obviously you've got a lot of products in this space which which can help people, you know, do remote work. I'm I'm probably a case study in that. But you know, when yes. we think about the hybrid workplace and the idea that it's actually here to stay, this isn't just a um, a thing that we're doing for a little while and then all running back to the office. How has how has this actually impacted you and your and your schedule, your way of working? Me personally, 
Yeah, I'd love to know how, how, I mean, you, you are obviously a busy guy running a huge, a huge business in, in Australia and New Zealand, and, uh, and you've had to go through the same challenges as everybody else. You know, I, I've looked at it, I guess, from a couple of different lenses. You know, when, when we sort of first rushed to this working from home thing, I think there were some people that were not prepared for it. And so we had to make adjustments along the way. People have had to change their types of that new ideas. So that's the first mm-hmm. step. But now that we've reached a sort of equilibrium, we sort of understand it a little bit more, albeit, you know, some of it's still difficult to deal with, but we sort of know a bit more where we are. Um, we've reached a, I'd call it a hybrid situation where, you know, I'm in, I'm in the office now. Uh, I come into the office a couple of days a week, but then I also, you know, I'll go home at lunchtime and, and work from home at lunchtime. And um, it just depends on what's on in my day off. I've actually spent some time away with my family um, during school holidays where I, I, now that we've got this this new capability, I'm going to call it new capability, I can still work. I can still work from somewhere else. It doesn't really matter where I am. Work's not a thing I go to. It's it's a thing I do. So, you know, I can I can do my work pretty much from everywhere, from, from anywhere. Um, I do think, though, the other side of it is, especially from a business perspective, is we still have to have those intangible conversations. We still have to have those water cooler conversations. You know, it's fine getting on calls with people and looking looking at the screen, but you, you can't have those side conversations that you want to have and just sort of catch up and, and whatever. So um, I, although, I, you know, the, the first priority is always to keep everyone safe and, in a, in a, you know, in a reasonable environment, I think that, you know, returning to the workplace is probably a, a you know, something that's going to happen over the next few months. We're going to see a lot more of that, um, especially with some of the developments, I guess, in, in the vaccines and so on. But I, I, I tend to find I feel like I have a lot more freedom now. I can choose to stay at home if I've got, you know, one of my kids are sick or something like that. I can, you know, I can come to work or I can go and, you know, sit down with a, a, a customer if, if we're going to meet or whatever. And I, I'm just not tired by location anymore. So I think that's been a, a big positive in many ways. Um, I'd also say, you know, a lot of my team or some of my team, you know, they travel a fair distance to work uh, in the morning. Mm. You know, maybe they're traveling for an hour or even more sometimes. And, you know, for them to have that flexibility where they don't have to come to the office and spend all that travel time, that's a really big plus for them. And I don't want them working more, but it, it just gives them that, again, that extra freedom or that capability. We set up a a rule in the in the office, at least in Australia and New Zealand. Unfortunately, my boss in Hong Kong doesn't always keep this rule. But after three o'clock, we don't want any meetings because nice. three o'clock is when the kids come home from school and all hell breaks loose. So you know, if if you've got kids and you're working from home, you know what that that sort of witching time is like, and you just want to take a breath, maybe take half an hour off, go spend some time, and then you can sort of get back into it if you want to. So I think we've also adjusted our thinking to be a bit more flexible where. You know, you, you can make those adjustments. It's not a nine to five necessarily. Um, social media tools and, and and chat tools are reaching. You know, they're, they're becoming a little bit more prevalent as well. I try not to talk to my team outside of hours, but sometimes you do. You know, you've got this ability to do it now, so it can also mean you know you can have a, a, a fifteen second chat, and that means you don't have to have a meeting tomorrow. So it, it has its advantages there to also sort of circumvent some of those, you know, just by having that quick conversation. So I, I really like that. And you know, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I don't, you know, I think everyone has, has 
um, but not struggle, but it, you know, it's been a tough 2020. No one would really say probably differently to that. Um, so I'm not, you know, I don't want to sound too positive about it, but I think it's taught us some things. You know, it's taught us some some what's what's probably important um, in terms of how we work and how we can have that flexibility, how we can work from home, and how we can have the right setup to work from home so that we're, you know, we're actually efficient and you know we can we can do what we need to do. Agreed. I think there was a period of, of adjustment. There was a peop- there was a period where people maybe thought it was going to be only for a week or two. I remember going into early lockdown, most people would turn mm. their dining room table into their home office and they thought, well, this will be fine because in a week or two, I'll be taking it all back to the office and we go back five days a week. But I think now we're seeing this beautiful evolution where people, to your point, are saying, you know, it doesn't matter where I'm working. I've, I'm comfortable with the tools that I've got. I'm comfortable with the setup that I have that if I do need to be home, I can be. And if I do want to go in the office, I can do that too. So I, I agree. I think um, I think technology has allowed us to do so much and it's almost surprising and frustrating in some ways, especially as someone who works in IT, that it took a pandemic for that kind of change to to take place when, you know, I think as IT professionals, we've been comfortable with working from home, but so many other departments in businesses um, were not. So it has it has really changed the way businesses work. Look, we have some big government customers and I think government customers or government departments tend to be probably a little bit more traditional. Some of them are very advanced, by the way, but some of them are more traditional. And it just pushed everyone immediately. They had to have a different way of thinking. They had to search for the answer. There wasn't an option to do that. So in that sense, it was, a, I think, a, a step in the right direction for, for enabling what we've seen. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Now, Matt, the, the next questions are just about yourself. Um, then there's no wrong answer. It's just to hear a little bit about you and, and the technology in your life. Um, the first question here is, uh, what's your favorite app to keep you organized? Uh, I'm going to have to go traditional there. I'm going to say Teams only because it has a calendar, it has a chat, we share folders, all that sort of stuff. From an organizational perspective, it would have to be Teams because I rely on that most of the day. Fair call. And what would be your favorite social media app? Uh, definitely Twitter. I think Twitter is a great app because you can interact with people, but also it's a feed. It's a feed of what's going on. I mean, you know, Instagram, you know, pictures are great and I think you can see your friends there, but Twitter is a more useful tool for me. Um, I think it's not as melodramatic now that we've had a change in president, but, you know, Twitter still is a source of uh, a lot of good information. (laughs) Good point. And when you did used to have, or when you do have five minutes to spare between meetings, um, what's the first thing that you do on your phone? Uh, I'm going to cop for this. I, I, I play chess. Oh, really? I've got about I've got about I've got about fifteen or twenty chess games going at any one point in time, and I I kind of revert to that and sneak in probably three or four moves. <laughs> I like that. I like that. No one's ever said that before. And um, I mean, I can see you on video today, but I'll ask the question anyway. Um, do you wear a smartwatch or a traditional timepiece? I, I do wear a traditional timepiece. I, I I like wearing a traditional timepiece. Having said that, I do wear a Fitbit. Um, not all the time, um, but I do wear a Fitbit as well. Because I think, that, 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 I mean, the technology in these things now in terms of, you know, your sleep or your, your heartbeat or your general fitness levels is, is actually amazing. So I do like the technology, but I, I can't go past mm. my traditional watch. No, yeah. it looks good. It looks good. Now, tell me, when we did used to jump on airplanes, um, would you use the in-flight entertainment system or would you bring your own device? Um, I, look, 
I think that the uh, in-flight entertainment was great because generally you got movies on that that system that weren't yet released, you know, even in Australia. So, you know, I'd love to do that. You look for the movies and maybe there was a good one there. But I also must admit, you know, when I was tired of email, um, I did have a, a couple of downloaded, you know, series of whatever we were yep. binging at the time, you know, just to, just to keep me amused. And then, you know, I, I think the thing about that as well is you, um, you're able to go back and sort of rewatch a couple of things as well. So I, I, I'm definitely a fan of, of, you know, using that, um, that facility where you can download stuff and, and, you know, watch a couple of episodes at a time. Agreed. Agreed. And Matt, what do you love to do to disconnect? How do you get away from technology? Uh, I, well, I've got three beautiful children. Um, my two boys and I, we, you know, we either we're kicking the footy around or we go surfing. They're sort of early teenagers now. Um, and then I've got a daughter who's 12. And um, occasionally when she convinces me, we might do a TikTok. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Don't nice. tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> people, people will start trying to find you doing some dance moves or something now. Yeah, and, and Matt, exactly. tell oh, me. This, uh, this, this show is called Technology Uncorked and we have our interview episodes on Tuesdays and on Thursdays I talk about the tech news and reviews of the week and I usually do it over a glass of wine. Um, if you and I were sitting down together today, would you, uh, would you have a preference for a drink, coffee, beer, wine? What would be your go-to? Uh, my go-to is a Negroni. I do enjoy having a Negroni, you know, sort of late afternoon, sun's going down. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but nice. as you say, it's uncorked. So, look, I, I my grandparents hail from the Barossa Valley, so anything from the Barossa Valley is all right. A Henschke or a Penfold is okay with me. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> I'm sold. Sounds good to me. Matt, thank you so much for joining the show today. It's uh, It's been awesome to catch up. Jeff, thank you very much. Thoroughly enjoyed it. 